It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's silly time on Taxi <laughs> TV Live. <laughs> this week, starring Matthew Vanderbow and Chuck Henry, live from the Taxi Reverend. I'm going to do this for 90 minutes. We're all tired and goofy for the we are all veggie-like, um, brain-dead, post-rally head. Um, wow, there are actually people showed up. Not a, I thought everybody would be in airplanes no. going home from the road rally. Look well, hello, guys. everybody. Who do we have in there? Uh, L. Harrison, Robert Willoughby. Can't read the comments because the computer's really far away today. Greg Vaughn. Uh, Dan Weber, Stephen Spinner, James, Mark Himley. James, Mark Himley. Mark Himley. I just saw Himley in an elevator this morning, I thought. Uh, Marion Laird. Oh, Peter. Peter Rahill. Saw him numerous times. Anyway, uh, we are all back from the road rally. Um, it just ended last night around dinner time, and some of us were still at the hotel this morning. <laughs> right? uh, or, no, you guys stayed at your place last night? Yeah, I stayed at okay. my place. Um, anyway, uh, I'm really glad to have these guys here. They're good friends of mine, really good friends of mine, and uh, they're so lively. My wife, I said to my wife, I don't know what I'm going to talk about on the show with them today. I'm so brain dead. I haven't written anything out for the show. And she said, doesn't matter. Those guys are in such good spirits all the time. As a matter of fact, wherever you go, you can hear them laughing. <laughs> <laughs> we already got told to keep it down, Monster. <laughs> oh, that's true. One of the screeners was apparently a little ticked off that they weren't talking in their library voices. We, anyway, got, we got in trouble. Five <laughs> minutes, we get in trouble already. I, I don't think these guys actually have library voices. Uh, no, not really. That's <laughs> why so I don't go to libraries. Ask Gavin when I sneeze, I bet that. Oh, man. So right before we went on the air, you were talking about farting. Uh, <laughs> it's a topic we've never covered on the show before, and we're not going to cover it today, but I did want to warn you guys, the sneakers that I'm wearing smell like a fart. <laughs> they do. Here's why. They don't sound, sound like it, but they smell like it. I was, well, I've got some other ones when you walk to go... <laughs> they do, but oh, these sneakers were, I was wearing them while river rafting in the Jordan River this summer, and the raft got hung up on some rocks, so I jumped out of the raft, and, and mm -hmm. the, the silt on the bottom was like two feet deep, and so I was like knee deep in silt, and my sneakers took on all this silt, which is, you know, like dead organic material. Oh, yeah. And... Um, so no matter how many times I've washed them, no matter how many times I've dried them, no matter how many times I've put them outside to like roast in the sun, <laughs> I've put deodorizers, I've done everything. And as I was putting them on this morning in the hotel room, I thought, they still <laughs> smell like a fart. <laughs> but I don't care because the other ones are packed and I just need to get out of here. And then on the way back, driving here from the hotel morning, I thought, oh no, Chuck and Steve, I'm not Chuck and Steve. <laughs> Chuck and Matt are going to be sitting next to me going, that smell? So it's my sneakers. It's actually the silt of the Jordan River. So, uh, what? Oh, the science Bria is kicking me under the table already. Dear God. <laughs> subscribe. We're all if getting you're in trouble. Not a subscriber, subscribe. You gotta like this show. Out of every show we've ever done, you gotta like it because we got these guys on. These idiots. And don't forget to share it with this your new friends you made at YouTube. the road rally. <laughs> Sensor. So um, let's talk about the rally. Uh, were there any interesting moments for you that we can talk about publicly? <laughs> oh, not on camera. Okay. 
Really? Oh. You, got, um, you got nothing, huh? It was awesome. It was a blast, but it's always a blast. Um, we loved your panel. That was that was great. You that were was funny as hell. Oh, <laughs> not only was it funny, we did a panel talking. Uh, I don't have a. I don't know where my schedule is, but we it's did awesome a panel. What was it called? Uh, um, uh, making time to make more music and yeah. and, money. and money. Yeah. Um, and it was you, mm-hmm. um, Marcus, Keith Brandt. What's Marcus's last name? I, I, Cohen. Marcus Cohen. Yep. Keith Brandt, which rhymes with Lou Grant. Randall yep. Purcell. And Terrell. That's Terrell. Right. Randall Purcell Terrell and Terrell Burt. Um, and so I want to talk to those guys, these guys, um, because they're all really productive people. And uh, to varying degrees, they're all successful using taxi. And... The fact that I hate it when people walk up to me and say, well, I haven't really taken advantage of my membership because I've got a full-time job, I've got a house, I've got a mortgage, I've got a family, you know, I've got all these life responsibilities, which I get, I understand it. Uh, and, and those guys were my living proof that you can have all these responsibilities and, and still be successful and still find the time to be successful. So it was basically my way of saying there's no good excuse. Um, but the panel actually really went better than I thought it would, frankly. Um, I knew that you guys would be a lively group and that yeah. you would disseminate good information. Uh, no, it's a, remarkable. Look at the guy in that shot. That's <laughs> <laughs> my previous haircut. Yeah, and then, and then look at that. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I still got it on the wall. Oh, so sweet. Oh, you got got that one, too. Yeah, I keep them all. (laughs) All of Matt's little love letters, I keep on my wall. Oh, sweet. You got baby girl on there. She's adorable. (laughs) Anyway, um, so the panel went really, really well, and I think that you guys gave out some great information as to how people can be more productive. And if you had to bottom line the whole panel, it was get off your butt wake up early in the morning and do your thing or do it on a regular basis every don't day. Don't make excuses. That's yeah. the number one thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, did you like how I tied that together? I had uh, Dean Krapang get up there and talk about uh, fear and procrastination. Fear, mm. anxiety, and procrastination. Had you guys up there. Um, it, it was just... Every successful member that I can think of will say the forums, collaborating... Um, listen to the screeners, um, watch Taxi TV, go to the rally. Yeah. And, and yet so many people go, well, I've been a member for four years, and, you know, I've really only submitted like 13 things, and I've had six forwards, but I haven't heard anything. I had a guy walk up to me and say, I've had six forwards. It's like the last thing anybody said to me last night before I went back up to my room was, I've had six forwards. How long should I wait to hear? And I said, don't wait. Remember, write, submit, forget, and repeat. Yeah. Just write down. Yep, I got one of those stickers right there. So, But also, I forgot, I want to mention something at the top of the show, which is I want to give a, a shout-out to Neil McTavish, um, Bria's dad, who we absolutely love, um, Adriana Lucette, her husband Jake Davis, Anna Yarbrough, and her husband James. Um, they came to our office today after the rally when everybody else is kind of dragging their butts around. These people um, made it their business to come over here and help my staff um, unload the truck in our warehouse and in the office um, and all they got for that was a few slices of pizza so I really appreciate them and a special shout out to Neil because he was here in the office uh, helping to stuff stuff for the, the bag stuffing thing a couple days later 
Um, he was instrumental, very instrumental in getting the, the banner and the backdrop up at the rally. Anyway, he's a big help every year, and we, we really love him as a person and love uh, his can-do spirit, you know? <laughs> the man is always helping us, so thank you, Neil, if you're watching the show. Um, so how many pieces? I, mean, I, I know that I knew this number, and we talked about it on the panel. How many pieces of music, first of all, how long has it been since you said, I'm going to do production music, instrumental stuff? Well, not only instrumental, you do songs as well. I'm going to start doing music for film and TV after you gave up the fantasy of being a rock star or a country star. Been like five, six years, something like that? Seven. Seven, seven years. years. Yeah, the only rock star I can. <laughs> <laughs> <the camp. laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, cheers. cheers. By the way, this episode is brought to you by New Flavor, Cotton Candy Rockstar, which apparently was a big hit at the Road Rally. 300 milligrams of caffeine and creatine. It's like a health drink. It has 300 now. Really? Right there, right on the can. Oh, Lord. It's right in front of you. 300 milligrams? That's like enough to kill you. That's like 12 cups of coffee or something like that. Oh, God. Um, I drank a half of one of these, didn't feel anything. Oh, well. <laughs> you got too much tolerance. <laughs> you built up a tolerance. <laughs> I really don't drink that many. I really don't. Uh, but that's so tasty. Yeah, this really, did I say this episode sponsored by Rockstar? Just saying. <laughs> this episode especially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. um, uh, so, yeah, seven years ago. Seven years. Yeah, seven years. And, oh, how many, what was the question? Uh, how, how many pieces of music do you have out there signed in various catalogs? In total, do you think? I know you. I, I know um, the ballpark. This might be off by a handful, but it's over twenty five hundred. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a crap ton of music. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Anyone can do it if you. <laughs> <laughs> you fan that to me. <laughs> well, it's either that or smell my shoes. Okay. Um, I tell everybody, any anyone can can do that. It's just um, can do what. Make make that much music? Really? I don't think so. <laughs> well, some do it maybe a little quicker, but um, I think too many people get caught up in in um, like big. They think way big picture, and they'll hear me say, "You got to make hundreds of tracks a year," and they think there's no way I can make hundreds of tracks every year. And so just, they don't even make. So one. they don't make one. I'm like, make one. Yeah. And then make another one, and before you know it, after weeks and months, you'll have a stack, and you'll look back and say. Well, son of a gun. Yeah. I actually made a lot of music, and if I just keep this up, I'll have a, a good chunk by the end of a year. But I think too many people get uh, intimidated by the overall number of music or, uh, of tracks that it takes to find substantial monetary success, and they just get paralyzed. Um, I think it was Dean Crepain that was talking about that during his panel. Uh, somebody was where they were saying, you know, rather than getting paralyzed by 10, just make one. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. when you finish that one, you're going to go, wow, that wasn't nearly as hard. Somebody was talking about that. Anyway, it's yeah. all a blur to me now. But, um, <laughs> and, and you know what? You made one. Mm hmm. And now you've got 2,500. Yeah, and I made a lot of garbage too. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen overnight, but um, do you feel like, what what was the ramp up as far as uh, the first one? Let's say the first one was not very good, uh, and the second one was like not as bad, and the third one's like wow, uh, yeah. How long did it take before you got to the point where you felt like 
I can, I, I'm the, the master of my domain. Anytime I sit down to make a track, there's a reasonably good probability it's going to turn out as a usable piece of music. Um, it's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a year, maybe longer than a year. That's not embarrassing. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I made uh, 75 pieces of music my first year, and none of them are usable. Like, none of them. Um, See, so, there's hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, every, every one gets you closer to better. Yeah. And so for people that only do five, let's just say it takes you 100 tracks before they get good. It's like you got to just hurry and get through those 100. That's great advice. Yeah, um, get that crap behind you. And finish them, though. Yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't have 100 up. false starts. Have 100 yeah. that you finish, even if they suck. Yep. How about you, Chuck? How, how long did it take you to get to the point... How many tracks, how much time did it take you to get to the point where you felt like, wow, I, I actually kind of know what I'm doing now? I would say probably around 2004, two days after, after he started. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, it's been so long ago, I gotta think about that one. Um, probably a, f a few years before I was like, just totally doing it full time and cranking out the tracks. Yeah. So it's, uh, the story is kind of the same, yeah. not only with you guys, but your the other successful members that are kind of in this, you know, club of successful members. Uh, you guys all tell the same story, which is didn't come immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not you know, and I, I'll tell you, after that first year where things started getting better, doesn't mean that they were great. So they were it like, just means they didn't. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it means they weren't horrible, and I, I wasn't embarrassed by them anymore. So I could actually be proud of what I was doing. Well, yeah, I was proud of the garbage I made too, just because I made it myself. Yeah, and but, you didn't know anything about recording. I didn't right? know anything. <laughs> nothing. Tell them the story <laughs> you were telling on the panel about you sat down, just started turning knobs. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So uh, I came home from my. First road rally, which I think I was trying to figure out, it was 2011, and I was like, I, I want to start making music on my own um, because prior to that, I'd spent thousands of dollars in recording studios. And, and I he lives in a suburb of Boise, Idaho, so yeah. it's not like there are a lot of studios around back then. Especially. No, and there's like two, yeah, two out there. But I realized that if I wanted to do TV composing, I had to I had to be able to do it on my own, and I had to be able to do it quickly. But I didn't know the first thing about about any of it. I knew how to turn on my computer. That was about it. Like I opened, I remember opening Pro Tools for the first time, and um, you know how like if you open Microsoft Word, you're at least given a canvas, right? Like a blank white piece of paper. Well, Pro Tools doesn't even do that. You click it on, and the screen just stays static. Like how do you even start? You stare I didn't at even it for know. A while. Yeah, I was like. Where's the program? And I looked up in the top corner, it said Pro Tools. I'm like, well, the program's running, but where's the thing? Where's the workspace? Control N, I'm guessing, right? For a new. I think it's something like that. Yeah, I still don't know the keyboard shortcut. Yeah, but it took me a while before I even well, knew well, how I to did bring that up. Too. It's like, it's like every day I'd work with it, I'd learn something new. They, like, oh, that's how you do it. And next day I'd learn it. I'd be like, oh, this. Yeah. Just everything you know, it's working funny. and working. You do need to do it repetitively yeah. in a fairly, fairly short succession because. I've found that, um, especially with audio programs, that it's it's the kind of thing that requires habit. Yeah, you have to mm -hmm. do it over and over yep. again. Then, at some point, you go, "I don't even have to think about it anymore." And then you develop another habit on top of that, and then another one on top of that. Before yeah. you know it, 
you actually know what you're doing. And then, mm-hmm. like, I met this fool, like, what, 2012 at the rally? Yes. Yeah. Walking through the bar. <laughs> and he said, can I play my stuff? So I went, he <laughs> played it. I was like, okay, well, you need to do this and change it. Guys, important, whatever. And now he sends me stuff. I'm like, damn, dude. That's good. I mean, it's a, he does some amazing stuff. So yeah, where you've come from 2012 until... Now it's like for a guy that literally didn't know what to do when he yeah. launched, didn't even know how to turn the program on. <laughs> and here's the funny thing: um, this is actually one of the questions that I did write. Um, oh, you know what? Let me go to something else first. It's more in line with what we're talking about. I'll get to the other thing in a second. Um, do you know how many placements you've had in total? Could you even venture a guess? Because the numbers got to be huge. Uh, I got well, I got about nine thousand. 900 TV shows and 9,000 episodes. That's where I'm at. Wow. And, and probably sometimes like, like multiple placements in the same show. <laughs> those are better. <laughs> I like those better. <laughs> but, so 9,000 episodes of TV. Have almost. Been, I'm yeah. on like 8,800 or something. I don't know. But you can whatever. Just, yeah, just round it when up. When it's that big, you just round it up. <laughs> um, and how about you? So, somewhere around 10,000. Unbelievable. 10,000 10, episodes? Placements. 10,000 placements. It's um, 1,700 episodes. Wow. And most of those now, like when I open up cue sheets now, they're anywhere from five to eight placements on each TV show, like on each episode. Oh, wow. I'll just type in like control F or whatever to do a search and I'll type in my last name and when I see like you've got 12 results I'm like oh come on <laughs> I hope this is a good paying show and I just go through and just like I'm looking for the ones that are like 30 seconds 45 seconds sometimes they're just you know four or five seconds if the they ones that are one second really like seriously one second yeah I but it still counts, well, it's, still probably, counts. Know, it's probably just the thing that goes the sting bam. yeah boom exactly. sometimes they take the last hit so but that still counts that's a placement yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and I would imagine those pay pennies, but you know what? It's a penny business, and it all adds up. Yeah. Pennies add up. Um, That's why I, you I'm, always put a big reverb tail right? <laughs> <laughs> on every last note, because then you get like three extra seconds. But don't don't take him literally, because now I know people are going to start add, adding like 10-second oh, reverb tails. Oh, this is tails. bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> this is advice yeah, I mean, that comes out late you, at night. If you're going to do it, do it tastefully, you know? Um, so when... How about you? When you started, did you know anything about the technological stuff at all? Well, I was just saying, I got Pro Tools in the year 2000, and I, I opened it up and sat down on this blank canvas, and I'm like, the hell do I start with this? <laughs> it's just day, doing it every single day and learning it, and eventually you become, like, second nature, I guess. Yeah, I've watched yeah. you work. I mean, you, Oh, yeah, I brought you, my thing in here. Yeah, you, well, you could literally do it with your eyes shut, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that Matt could as well, which I think, all of us get that way with certain programs that you use all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I got that way. I used to. I'm a tell a secret on Taxi TV that I've never told anywhere else before. But there were times where I was so bored in the control room, like <laughs> do you know, punching in syllables on records or something, that I would entertain myself by shutting my eyes and going like this and reaching out, and going, "Okay, I'm going to touch, you know, like um, reverb return four. And go boom because I had done it so many times. I knew, oh God, you know, yeah. here's a console that's 12 feet wide, and I had done it so repetitive. It's like a golf swing, it's, it's muscle memory wow. that I could literally hit a particular spot on the console with my eyes shut just because I'd done it a zillion times. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the album was called, the band was called The Reds, 
and that was the record I got caught by the producer, <laughs> oh Mike, Mike Thorne, the guy who uh, did Tainted Love, mm -hmm. uh, requested me for a record. I think it's a band called The Reds from Philadelphia, I want to say. And one night I'm sitting there at the console. He was off to my right side with the Sinclair. The whole record was Sinclair. And he goes, why are you touching the console with your <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say because I'm bored because all you do is sit there with the Sinclair. But anyway. <laughs> So, never confess, Mr. Thorne. I'm really not sorry. It was boring to watch you sit. The guys sampled everything in the band. Like they had an upright bass player sampled the drums, sampled. The only thing that was live in that record was the vocal, and he probably sampled that whole thing in the Sinclair and cut it up. Oh, jeez. Um, so, in your own words, what is it that you guys have done that other taxi members who are not finding success yet might not have done? Chuck? Let me think about that for a second. Mm. Okay, Matt. My, no. <laughs> Your second is over. <laughs> My turn. Okay, you I need another second. Time's up. <laughs> oh, that was good. Uh, oh, it's different sound every time. Oh, that was even better. Yeah. Um, e e either one of you. Go ahead. Uh, He's fixing to say something. Well, I was just going to start talking without really thinking it through. I didn't know if you were ready. <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead. And why should this day be different for you? <laughs> <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> uh, I, I would say um, what I did every year uh, from year one that I started is I set these lofty goals that I thought were unattainable for where I was at. Isn't that the opposite of every goal setting advice that you normally, it's like set a goal that's achievable. That you that know you can achieve. Right. Yeah, yeah. You, you did the exact <laughs> Who's got time for that? <laughs> yeah. I said set lofty goals like um, I told everyone at the mentor lunch that I did. Uh, my first year, I had this goal to make 50 pieces of music. That was it. One a week. And I thought, man, if I could do that, that's more music than I've ever made in my life. And I'd do it all in one year. Yeah. Like one piece. Of, like I'd, Previously, when I'd recorded these albums, it'd take me like a year or two years to write 10 or 12 songs. And so I thought, man, one a week, that's cooking. Um, so anyways, the first year, I made 75. And I thought, well, that's... Man, I really killed it. So wow, that is, that's impressive. Yeah, so then the next year I thought, well, I'll do 100 and just raise the bar a little bit. And I think I finished with 140 or something like that. And I was like, okay, next year, 200. And I just like steadily raise them. And you were still working as a full-time college professor for mm -hmm. those first couple of years, right? For yeah. Like, for five years or something. Yeah, yeah, for five years until it took off as a full-time thing. How did you find the time? I mean... Uh... How old's your daughter? Four? Three and a half. Three and a half. Yep, three okay. and a half. So you were working full time. Some of that time you had a kid, uh, uh -huh. you know, and how did you, where did the hours in your day come from? Um, okay, well, okay, so luckily being a college professor, I was teaching the same classes over yeah. and over and over again. And so what would normally take a professor X amount of hours to prepare and then go teach and then you know grade and then revamp your lesson plans and stuff. I'd already gone through that. So what would normally take a 40-hour work week for a normal professor would take me 20. Cuz so all they, the work was done. So that freed up 20 but you hours still a had week. to grade papers, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. F. yeah, but I so I it was almost like I had a full-time job that I was doing part-time hours on 
right. from, from the teaching thing. So that automatically gave me more time than I think a lot of people get. So there's um, a valuable lesson right there. Be a college professor. <laughs> Let me recommend 40, that. Work 20. But so I, I understand, though, when, when people say, oh, I got a 40-hour-a-week job and I have to come home and, and squeeze everything into this two hours where, you know, I've got my wife or husband or whatever saying, you know, why, why don't we watch a movie tonight? And uh, the musician who's trying to make a career out of it, you're like, I don't want to watch your movie. I want to go work on something. And they're like, no, no, but that doesn't pay anything. And you got to spend quality time here. And <laughs> so just, you know, get rid of those guys. <laughs> get, get rid of your girlfriends. Have you ever been married? No. Oh, now no. we know no. why not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm marriage material. <laughs> but your imitation of your future wife was really solid. That, that was what I had to deal with at the time. Okay. We'll just kind of stop that story right there. <laughs> no, no, Matt. Tell us more. <laughs> I'm going to lay out the couch, and you can be a, my therapist for a little while. Oh, man. Okay, so you found the time because you were fortunate in that you had a, a job that paid you for 40. You only had to work 20. Mm-hmm. So is it how many hours a week were you working? I, well, I was on, still on, the music, on so. music. I was still probably working... Um, 20 to 30 hours a week on music stuff. Wow. So I was putting in at least a 40-hour work week, 50-hour work week every week, and I never took a break. So weekends didn't exist. It was just, um, you know, you work from Sunday to Saturday, uh, from midnight on Sunday to midnight on Saturday, and you just go. Um, and that's what I was going to say. It's like you can't make excuses, and if you really want to do this you can't be like oh i'm gonna go out you know, to the clubs this weekend oh ooh, it's a weekend or just lay on the couch and beds if you want this you have to spend every bit of time you yeah. have off working on music oh yeah. but that sounds to... so hard well yeah. you don't want it bad enough you know you know what i hear all the time from uh i, I wouldn't necessarily say i hear this from musicians but i hear it from like a lot of other friends and co-workers and stuff they're like oh i just binge watched this show like, yeah. I watched it all in a week. I'm like, what? Do you know how much work you could have done exactly. in that week? Like, right. you watched 50 hours worth of TV. Where do you find time for that? That's my question. Right. You should be working. And, and like, if you are watching 50 hours of TV, you better be doing the legal pad on your knee and writing down. Yeah, taking the notes yeah. and turning it into homework. At but least. if you're. Yeah, someone's asked me a thing, Ev, if I, how much TV I watch. I'm like, I really don't. I watch the shows that I'm working on or whatever and college football, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. I don't sit there and binge watch and watch all these shows. I don't even know what's on. I did find out this weekend. Uh, I logged onto my computer late at night to answer some emails and found out that um, House of Cards season six is now out on Netflix. So this weekend, I don't have to work on the road rally. I am going to binge watch TV. I'm excited. I don't even have Netflix. So. Really? Mm-mm. Yeah, me neither. I just barely got you cable. Have cable. I just got that hooked up so I could watch college football. <laughs> and, then, and as soon as the season's over, I'm cutting it. Matt, where Matt lives, his idea of entertainment is looking out the window and watching a cow walk by, right? It's pretty good entertainment. <laughs> My in-laws live not that far from you in Idaho, and uh, they live in a little town named Bellevue. And you can literally sit in their living room with the fireplace crackling and watch deer walk by outside. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um... I digress. That's a first. Um, <laughs> Where were we? We are talking about, uh, in your own words, what have you done that other taxi members who are not finding success yet, italicized, uh, might not have done. So basically, it's, you know what? Stop whining about it. Do the work. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if you're doing things that just kill massive amounts of hours out of the day and the week, that's what I don't do. Yeah. Like, here's what I don't do. I don't do Facebook. I don't do tweeters. <laughs> Instagram. Instagram. I don't even know what this stuff is. People talk about hashtags. I didn't even know what that was till like a year ago. And memes? I don't even. What's a meme? <laughs> First time little, I saw it, like a meme. It's a little short purple guy that like, follows you everywhere. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what any of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know any of that stuff because I don't waste time on it. And people are like, "Oh, well, you see, this thing is trending, and they got this thing." On Facebook, did you read about this? I'm like, no. You know why? Dang I don't waste Facebook. time. Like I work. I'm working. <laughs> People kill hours, yeah. hours out of every day, just mindlessly. Right when they so, could be making. Money. Yeah, that's a, it's such an easy way to free up time. Like cut that. You don't need that. People are like, well, I need a social media presence. No, you don't. I no. swear to God, you don't. Yeah, you got to put the time into Neither it. Neither of you guys has a social media presence, right? I might have. <laughs> he keeps trying to get me to do it. Well, I got Facebook, and I heard the Instagram was good for if you're trying to promote your company or music, or whatever. So I kind of doubt. Do you know what that. Instagram is not good for? Instagram is not good if you're a young lady whose name starts with F. And yes, I'm talking to you. And you call taxi a couple days before the road rally, and you say, "I bought two mentor lunch tickets or uh, industry meet and greet luncheons." eating great luncheons um, and uh, she was made aware that she was signed up to go to the road rally but her membership was not current so somebody in the staff said look you got to be a current member to come to the road rally and get you two free tickets and she said well in that case I want to sell my mentor my Industry eat and greet tickets. Sorry, we called it mentor lunch for 21 previous years. It's a little ingrained. Um, so I want to uh, get a refund on those tickets or give them to a friend. But it wasn't as easy because the the pass to the luncheon was printed on your badge when you showed up at the road rally this year. So mm -hmm. it wasn't like we could manipulate the database to do that so easily. Um, so the girl's like, that's it. I'm never renewing. I hate you, taxi. And I'm not coming to the road rally, which, yeah, you're not coming because you're not a member and you tried to weasel your way in. <laughs> so I, I was on Instagram last night. I searched uh, hashtag taxi road rally to see what kind of action we were getting. And lo and behold, look who's standing there in the, ho in the lobby of the hotel. No. That girl. No. Is she wearing a badge? No, no, she's not. So you know who you are. If you're watching this episode, I'm coming for Busted. It. Yeah, you are so busted. busted. People freak me out. Anyway, um, <laughs> they do. It's like, oh, never mind. Um, yeah, the, so let's get back on positive stuff. Um, you guys both have spent a fortune on studio gear, right? Mostly oh, software. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> I had to take out loans and loans. No, we're, no, we're being facetious. No. The, the remarkable thing is both of them have really simple studios. I mean, Chuck just said, I've got a lot of software, but you need it for the mm -hmm. sounds. And I'm imagining you've got a fair amount of yeah. software. Yeah. So they make a point of staying current with their sounds. But go ahead and tell them what equipment you actually use every day. Yeah, I got my weighted 88 key piano for controlling. Got a couple computers. And all that stuff, remember all the stuff I have in the, that's all for show. I don't use that. That's all old equipment from the 90s. Oh, yeah. I don't the use outboard gear in the rack. Yeah, right? I don't yeah. use that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I asked you once, I was like, whoa, this is cool. How do you use that? And you're like, I don't know. Well, it's just for show. <laughs> I know where else to put it. Yeah, he had lots of, it had lots of LEDs and yeah. a couple of numbers on it. So yeah. I liked it. Um, and, and the Pro Tools rig. Oh, yeah, the ones I got. 
really JBLs, I think, or something. Yeah, they sound good. I remember. Yeah, that. I just bought this right before the first time we came over. Um. So basically, keyboard, computer. I'm guessing you have a microphone for the occasional real yeah. instrument oh, yeah. that you record. Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't have a mic cabinet with like 27 microphones that started at 500 oh. and worked their way up to three thousand dollars, right? You probably got like a four fourteen. Oh, 414? Okay, it. so that's a nice mic. Yeah. That's like a $700, $800 mic, yeah. something like that, but it sounds great. Perfect all-around mic. Yep, it is. Um, love 414s. It's like the time I went to Matt Hurst's house the first time, I expected he's going to have this huge studio in the back, you know, with the big old board and all this, and I saw this little piano and a computer in the corner of his living room. I'm like, where's your real studio? Oh, that's it. I'm like, really? Yeah, that's and, it? and no walls built within walls, no, no acoustic treatment, nothing. Mm -hmm. Literally, like, up against a wall, pair of speakers, a computer, that's and a keyboard. And this joker, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has become legendary. Um, go ahead, tell them, Matt, where is your studio? You <laughs> <laughs> love this story. I do. I, I absolutely love this story. Um, I will be telling the story till the day I die. <laughs> so my studio is it's in my backyard. Yeah. It's in a back a corner of the backyard. It's a it's a storage shed. Is what it is. If you had a shed, it's, it's a nice storage shed. I it mean, is, it, yeah. It's clean and kind of newish. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you had a riding lawnmower, you would put it in his shed. Yeah. His yeah, you'd put a riding lawnmower and some shovels and yeah, like a wheelbarrow, a, a rusty like <laughs> scissors and a tarp and, and some animal traps that are all rusted <laughs> bear, out. Because they bear traps. Bear traps right. Yeah, the meth lab. You get that, you know, all that stuff uh, out there. You know, you. What time do you finish working usually? Like around midnight. Y yeah, a lot of nights. Yeah. So you could rent it out from midnight to like eight a.m. as a meth lab. They already do. They might, <laughs> no, they might blow it up. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't want those Lose tweakers around my gear. Uh, but no, it's <laughs> it's a storage shed. Um, so I got this idea from my dad because yeah. at, uh, at my parents' uh, previous house, there was a a shed in the backyard, and and they used it as kind of like a guest house, and and it had these different areas for riding lawnmowers and stuff. Yeah. And when he decided he was going to do some work from home, he moved out into the shed and I was like that's so cool and so when I started doing this I originally was working out of a spare bedroom but uh, that's so tough when you're in your house oh, trying yeah. to work from home it's it, it, it's it was hard to for turn me. on the TV I'm just gonna yeah. let the news be on in the background <laughs> yeah I'm just gonna go to the refrigerator because I'm thirsty and you yeah know, yeah having like 500 and then, calories oh, worth there's of snacks. there's the dryer I got to go fold the clothes yeah. I mean there's a million distractions in the house that so, thing heated during the winter because it's cold up there. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got heat in there? I got heat in oh, there, okay. yep. So as I was wanting to do this on my own, and I, I like the first year was all in my spare bedroom. And then I thought, I got to get serious about this. And I thought, well, my dad had this awesome thing. So I'm going to go like to a storage shed company, and I found one. And uh, How right. much does this storage shed even cost? I have no idea. I can't yeah. remember now. I think it was 2500 bucks. And did it come with the floor? Uh, it was a shell. Okay. Put so, together? Yeah, so I, I went to this slab? company and I, no, I, I didn't pour a slab because that would be a permanent structure. Oh, and according right. to my, uh, you know, whatever. Taxes. Yeah, yeah, right. it's got to be portable. So it's a, it, okay. in the eyes of the Neighborhood Association, mm -hmm. that uh, thing can move. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a remote studio. Yeah, yeah, it's portable. Yeah. You can move that. That's right. Uh, but... 
Yeah, so I went to there and like custom ordered the size based on the dimensions of my spare bedroom. And I thought, well, that was enough room to work in there. I'll make it just a little bit bigger. And uh, so how many square? Well, how many? What this by that? How many? What what are the measurements? It's uh, 14 feet wide, 10 feet long. Okay. So it's 240 square feet. Well, yeah, that's what I thought. Too, but it's not. So when when I measured out my spare bedroom, I took the tape measure from one side to the other. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is a ten foot by ten foot box." So I'm going to go ten by fourteen. But what I didn't realize is when you order sheds, it's all based on the exterior dimensions, oh, so you like lose the footprint, a little, right? Yeah. So, so you lose wall is like three or four inches thick. Yeah, you're losing the the two by four, so four inches there, and then the uh, the sheetrock and and the exterior wall, so about six inches on each side. So there ah. goes a foot. So it's really usable nine space. By is nine by thirteen. I was like, this seems smaller than my spare bedroom. What's up? <laughs> and, and no acoustic treatment to speak of, right? No, uh, uh-uh. no, no. I, I thought about doing that. I don't know what to do with acoustic treatment. What would I do with that? I, well, it <laughs> to watch a YouTube video. You're making a great income and making great music that is, you know, creating that income. Yeah. In a tool shed that has no acoustic treatment. So let yeah. that be a lesson to yeah, you. Yeah, there's no acoustic treatment out there. I thought about. Um, I still kind of every now and then think about it, but I'm, I'm so used to the sound now, it'd screw me up. And, if it was more acoustically <laughs> proper, right. it'd and, ruin and, my production. And, and, and Chuck uh, Chuck has his stuff in a spare bedroom mm-hmm. and no acoustics. With 18-foot ceilings, so that's yeah, not the really, best for acoustics, but eh. But, I mean, the, you don't have anything hanging on the walls, mm-hmm. uh, no bass traps, mm-hmm. nothing over your head to diffuse sound, mm-hmm. nothing. Um, Wow. Okay. So again, there there goes another excuse. I really need to get myself in frame. Let's yeah. Oh, I I tell you though, that was daunting for me though when I when I first started like thinking that I needed to put a studio together at home. Like, oh man, I got to figure out acoustic treatment and yeah, bass traps. I didn't know what a bass. Tra- I still don't really know what a bass trap is. <laughs> like, what is it? Is this thing you like stick in a corner? I don't get it. I thought I had to learn all that stuff and then like get the tape measure out and learn these obscure arcane theories right. about oh x percentage away from the wall based on the and the <laughs> amount of distance on the wave and no. I was like okay how about I, mean, I just put you, my computer in here and see what happens you can do all that stuff and 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 some of it works there are some falsehoods floating around out there that, that I've seen people. Um, there are brands of acoustic foam that really don't do anything, and any frequencies they stop from rattling around your room are not the frequencies you really care about. So mm-hmm. you can do all that stuff, but there's nothing more effective than just knowing how stuff translates from the room you're in to the outside world, which yeah. both of you have clearly done. Um, let's see. When you were just saying, Oh, when you were starting out and you guys didn't really have, like, I, I know both of you now have, you know, a pretty extensive network of contacts and relationships and uh, people that send you briefs and you know what kind of music they're looking for, but you didn't always know. So how did you just sit down and go, today I think I'm going to create a dramedy track or I'm going to sit down and create a hip hop instrumental track. How did you know what to do in the beginning? Let's start with you. When Jeff. I first started, I was right to the taxi listings okay so i'd get the listings every two weeks and, oh i can do that i can do that and that helped build up my initial catalog were you realistic in what you chose because uh they were talking about on the panel how you know don't 
fool yourself into thinking you're versatile and you can do, oh, I can do country, I can do um, Italian instrumentals, mm -hmm. I can do hip hop, I can do this. Did you pick stuff that was comfortably in your wheelhouse? Oh, yeah. already? I, know, I know stuff that I can't do that stuff, I'm not even gonna, like rock or country because I don't play guitar. Yeah. So I was like, stuff like that, I'm not even gonna attempt it. Uh, do you remember the genre you cranked out most frequently in the beginning? Gosh, that's so long ago. I know. Um, <laughs> Let's play stump chuck. You're always stumping me. Cause, uh, there was a lot of, I guess there was some urban stuff, world music. Uh, Probably new jazz. age. Just there was some, yeah. Gosh, I mean, that was like year 2000 when I first started By doing way, that. Chuck is an accomplished new age artist and has had a couple of albums come out, two or three? Three, I guess. Yeah. It's more war. It's not like more like world music. I cannot I keep myself in front. <laughs> oh well, you guys have seen me enough. <laughs> By the way, I didn't shave for today's show. Just saying. Um, <laughs> and how about you? Um, what did you start out working on when you discovered that you didn't want to be a rock star, or a country singer, and you started doing uh, instrumental cues? How did you know what to write, and what were you most productive with? Well. When I first started, I didn't have, well, I, I didn't know what I was doing, obviously, so, so I didn't have a specialty. I didn't know what my strengths were, and I didn't know what my weaknesses were. So the only thing I did was just picked, picked listings, taxi listings that I thought looked cool. And I was like, oh, I'll try that. That's what I did. W without uh, knowing that I didn't stand a chance at some of these things. <laughs> but I think as a, as, a, as a new composer, yeah, you see some of these things with the big price tags on it or stuff that you think is um, really like flashy, like movie trailer stuff. Right. I'm like, oh, I want to be a movie trailer guy. Mm -hmm. This is what I thought. Like when I got going, probably about like my six month mark, I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to write for movie trailers. This is going to be sweet. They're like 20 grand a piece. I'm going to be doing that. Yeah, I'm just going to write a few here. <laughs> see, you in the, see you at the bank. Uh, so I wrote like four movie trailer things using, uh, what was that? Uh, Miroslav Philharmonic, which is like an entry, entry level yeah, orchestral sample library. Cost like 75 bucks. And um, I, th I was like, how, how come my orchestra doesn't sound like these other guys? And I just put a ton of time into those things and um, quickly found out that I was outclassed, outmatched, and outperformed, outwritten, out everything. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll move on to something a little more simple. So I did some action scenes. Okay. Those weren't good either. <laughs> so then I moved on to like... Uh, Oh gosh, I don't know. I tried dramedy. I didn't even know what dramedy was. So I had like very few people do. Yeah, it's almost like unless you're creating production music cues, you wouldn't know what dramedy. No, is. yeah, I had no idea. But um, the the I remember the reference tr uh, listings. It wasn't a reference track. It was a listing like you know a YouTube link to a TV show. Yeah. And so I went to a TV show and I must have listened to the wrong piece because I made <laughs> no. something with like it was dark with bass guitar and it's like creepy electric guitar and the screener was so nice when he re returned it <laughs> he said, this is a little dark for dramedy and i was like well wh what do you mean and then you know a couple of years later i'm like oh, that was not dramedy at all i don't know what that was i have a feeling that anybody watching the show who's not a regular is probably going what is dramedy why don't you tell them? yeah okay so dramedy is uh, i guess the best way to describe it is light orchestral 
whimsical, sneaky, mischievous like a desperate music. Housewives. Yeah, or they, they really almost invented that genre. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you would see one of the ladies on Desperate Housewives going over the picket fence, parting the bushes with their hands and looking through a neighbor's window, and you're hearing do do do. And the pizzicato yeah. strings and the yeah. mallets. Yes, yeah, all That's, the pluck pluck strings, mallets. It's very hallmarky. Like yeah. you watch any Hallmark movies. Top to bottom. <laughs> Don't ask me why. Do I look like a guy who watches Hallmark. <laughs> you know, the Christmas season's coming up. That's true. Yeah, you'll hear Christmas dramedy. Christmas dramedy. All month. Um, is it just me, or do you find that a lot of people who are early in the process spend so much, try so much time trying to be perfect and create something that's like their grand opus and they work it and they rework it and they will just beat themselves up and put all these parts in and just try and make it so elaborate because they are under the misguided notion that if I create this incredibly complex, really tour de force piece of music, then people are going to want it in their show. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's 180 degrees out of whack with what's what should be done. Am I crazy? Yeah, yeah, it's completely out of whack. But it gets, I say it gets every new composer. Yeah. Sure got me. I don't know about Chuck, <laughs> but, but oh man. I think I was telling this at the uh, at the panel yeah. I was on. So after I kind of figured out how to put new tracks on Pro Tools. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, this is, this is a ways into the trajectory. Um, and I realized, oh man, I can do as many tracks as I want. So I'm going to have a million things going on. As long as the computer can handle it, I'll just keep <laughs> adding stuff. And so I just had, well, there's a million different things going on. It's like, oh, I'll have the, the string sections uh, break it out into like solo violin, solo second violin, solo third violin, and then all the violas and the cellos, and then the hand, uh, there's a track for everything. And it was like, you had to scroll to get to the, like, seriously, scroll way, way, way <laughs> to the bottom just to get to the end of the tracks. I was like, this is going to be, this will really impress somebody. <laughs> when, when someone hears this, they're going to be like, wow, that guy knows what he's doing. That guy had 157 tracks. <laughs> he must be good. Who do you hear all that counterpoint? <laughs> this guy's awesome. That's a good, you know, counterpoint, what a great example of something you rarely need. Yeah, who needs that? Yeah. Well, see, I couldn't do that because back then Pro Tools were limited to 24 stereo tracks. Wow. Oh. So I had to like pick and choose. And you could do some bouncing, but that was kind of a pain. So. Yeah. Since I had that, I forgot about that. Hmm. You're that old. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think sometimes limitations are good. Are yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you just go down these rabbit holes that mm -hmm. are stupid. Just stupid. Um, so yeah, simple. Simple is way better. And Less is more. Yeah. Simple is not only um, quicker. But it's easier. Well, yeah. once you figure out simple, like simple actually is a tough thing to understand as a composer. But um, explain why that is. I don't, that I never don't had, know. Had to think about it. Yeah, right? I don't know why it is. But I, I tell this to people. Um, I've got a group that I put together in Boise of people that are trying to do this stuff too, and I tell them all the time, "Well, simplify, simplify. Cut this part out." It's, a little too busy here. Go simple. Go but simple. But I've got this great idea for a mm -hmm. line. But I was the same way. I was guilty too, you know. Um, I don't know why it is so hard to be simple. Maybe it's because we all come from like a rock star or, you know, wannabe rock star yeah. background where you want to impress the crowd, I guess. So you're going to throw in that 
million notes on the guitar thing and the drummer press yourself drummer's going so to do over like fills every four bars right and you just like oh that's and you spent so many years perfecting your craft and learning your instrument he's like well, yeah so let's we'll, do all this cool stuff yeah and if, if yeah. we do like a, a oddball like, time signature like 12 13 nine, or something and, like, and like modulate all over the place this is really yeah. gonna knock your crowd like socks off seven tracks in there that's just not enough that's just below me i have to put all this other cool things in here you could literally have three tracks and yeah. make a, an effective, yeah. usable, money-earning cue. Right? Totally. Some of it's mine are three real, tracks it's hard to nowadays. That. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Uh huh. And look, they go ten times faster than something that's mm -hmm. complicated and gets used way more often. And the really simple ones, for whatever reason, tend to play longer. Mm -hmm. Right. And we get paid by the second, so it's quicker. It's better placements, easier placements, longer placements, more money. money for less work. It's like, <laughs> no brainer. But <laughs> I don't know why it's so hard to get it. It took me a long time to understand that one. And I know, I'm trying like, to think of a good analogy, but I, I, I can't. Uh, I can't think of another like artistic endeavor. I, I guess, you know what, if you were a fine artist and, and you were painting a sunset and then you go, but I need ducks on the water. Oh, if there are ducks on the water, there's probably a fish jumping back there. And if there's mm -hmm. a fish jumping, yeah. there are probably some cattails growing on the opposite bank. Before you know it, you've got a cacophony of things in what started out as a simple sunset. Yeah, you know, so I, I think of that analogy quite a bit. And I always think of, um, remember Bob Ross? Yeah, yeah. yeah the painter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he'd start off with this thing and he'd make this awesome, painting and just when you think it's done like that is a perfect painting i'd hang that on my wall he's like now let's put a put fence a house in, in there he, he yeah. put a house now in we there. need like, some happy oh, trees and i'm like okay oh those trees are cool uh, now they need snow and he's just like spends yeah. the next hour adding stuff yeah. that you know, yeah. well it was bob ross so it always looked cool but it was a great painting before all that extra mm -hmm. stuff went right. in that's a great analogy yeah but he's just but he did it for the TV show, Well, I had to too, fill it 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, so... Do you know, I actually learned something from Bob Ross watching that show years ago that I applied to mixing. And I did an episode in the early years of Taxi TV, like eight years ago. Um, I remember somebody in my career who was giving me advice on mixing said, imagine a landscape and when you're mixing, that there's this oral landscape. And I don't mean oral like put it in your mouth. I mean oral like hear it in your ears. Your ears. And um, I was watching an episode of Bob Ross painting one day. My dad, my dad's a fine artist, so anything about painting somehow gets my attention. And he explained that the stuff that's closest to you will have m more vibrant colors and more definition in the detail. Things that are in the mid-ground will be a little less vibrant because there's air and space and atmosphere between you and that object. And stuff that's farther away will again have less vibrant colors and less detail. So if you think about it, so what I did, our backyard, we look out at a mountain range where we live and I took some uh, molded plastic furniture that my kids had when they were like three, four years old and they'd play out in the backyard. And so I took a, a pair of red chairs, plastic chairs, and put those kind of like where guitar one and guitar two would be. Mm -hmm. uh, and they took a, a yellow chair, put that down the middle, and that was like the kick drum and the snare. But then when you start getting into other things like a keyboard pad, well, that's the bushes that are 20 feet away because it's not as present and up mm -hmm. in your face, and it probably doesn't have as much top end or detail. And then um, the mountain range, 
were, you know, was something else off in the distance. And if you look at a mountain range, um, it usually doesn't have that, you know, it doesn't have a lot of color. It's grayish, yeah, it's, yeah, earth, yeah. it's earth tones, mm -hmm. and it's not that defined. So if you ever want to know about mixing, study simple landscapes, because the same rules apply. Bob mm -hmm. Ross, you're a mixing genius. <laughs> Just saying. That makes good that's sense. Good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really, I think that's the first time I've ever verbalized it, but I fought, I've fought that yeah. for a long time. I, I swear that was like the key to mixing for me. It mm -hmm. really was. Just think of a painting, think of a landscape, and the more stuff you put in it, the busier it becomes, and then you lose the focus. Uh -huh. Because yeah. everything should have, there's something in every painting that should be the focal point, and the same thing with the mix. What's the most important thing in this mix? Yeah, yeah I've what? done it before. I've, had, I've done a mix. I have just too many tracks. And I was like, something's just not right with this. And I start muting out certain tracks, like drum parts, whatever. I'm like, I didn't need that in there to begin with. It sounds yeah. better now. Just simplify mm -hmm. it. I remember very early on in my career, somebody said to me, just because you can doesn't mean you, <laughs> you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I heard somebody this weekend on one of the panels talking about how treble, women relate better to treble and men relate better to bass. Jack Adams, if you're alive and watching the show, this guy was another engineer producer I learned from early in my career, and he once said to me, when you're mixing, remember, girls like treble and guys like bass because they have a certain anatomical quality that attracts that makes bass attractive to them and i thought hmm. that's kind of crass <laughs> but i've got to say there have been plenty of times in my career where i've heard jack adams sitting on my shoulder giving me that advice somebody said that very thing on a panel the other day no way yeah so i wonder <laughs> if they ever met jack adams hmm. or if jack learned it from them um are there any mistakes that you guys see commonly made by newbies I think like we're talking about, you know, before not making excuses, a you have to put if you want to be this this to be your profession, you have to put the time into it. Yeah. If you want it to be a hobby, then fine, go out on the weekends, go watch TV, go whatever. But if you really this before tree, you whack it. Bar <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> This is going to devolve really quickly. It already is. <laughs> we're talking about the rock star energy. I meant it. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I've spilled a couple on this table. We're sitting at what used to be my dining room table. And it's like a pine table with a wax finish on it. You spill that on there, it eats right through. It goes right oh, through the wood. Oh, man. But it's perfectly fine on your stomach. I lost my train yeah, of thought. <laughs> we're uh, talking about um, newbies and mistakes yeah, that they just, make. If, and, if you want to make this oh, your, oh, your career, hobby, yep. you have to put the time into it. Yeah. Be dedicated. But but just because I want it, I should get it. I'm entitled. No, it don't work that way. Yeah. Entitled, yeah. No. Mm -mm. And you know what somebody said on a panel at the rally? Hey, it's okay if, I think it was on the panel you run, or maybe it was Dean Carpano, somebody said, it's okay to not make a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars a year doing this, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. If, if it's you okay. Make, that was Keith make that said a, that. a couple Keith, thousand yeah. dollars. That's a year, fine. You know? um, it, 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 it's a hobby. That's great. Mm -hmm. But don't quit your day job. You're not going to be able to. Right. So. By the way, is Keith LeBrant one of the nicest guys ever? Yeah. yeah. I love that. What guy. a sweetheart. Yeah. A sweetheart. <laughs> what a what an awesome manly dude. <laughs> <laughs> he he's another one of our members that sends me uh, like if his they dress his daughter up as a pumpkin, his daughter I even know his daughter's name is Olivia, and if Olivia gets dressed up like a pumpkin for Halloween, Uncle Mikey knows about it in Los Angeles. Uncle Mikey. Oh. He keeps me in the loop. Um 
Do you have any sage advice for newbies? Yeah, uh, I would. So I'm going to take a little different route than Chuck here. Um, and compositionally, there's a lot of mistakes that people make when they're first starting. And I think the best thing you can do really is um, like go to the taxi forums yeah. and find the people that are doing it successfully. And they'll always, like almost always, have a SoundCloud link in their signature. Right. Go to that and listen to all their music and study it like religiously. Take it with you to the gym. When you're walking your dog, just stream that stuff. Um, and osmosis may kind of kick in a little bit just by listening to it. But there are so many mistakes that people make just because they don't know the strategy of composing and arranging a good cue. For, right, for cues. I, a, a because, cue. Because well, that would be different than scoring a movie or yeah. doing a concert composition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but, but even, even vocal songs mm. geared to TV placements are different than a vocal song that you would release on an album. You're or... betcha, and you might need a copy of this <laughs> book if you want to learn about it. Just saying, Shortcuts of Songwriting for Film and TV, the only book on the subject currently <laughs> on the market. Anyway, thanks. ching yeah. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> no, but huge. <laughs> I, I, say, uh, I would say that you have to learn the arrangement because there's a science to it. There really is. And if you're just making music that, uh, that doesn't follow a certain pattern, then you just don't stand a chance. And now what you're doing, like my, one of my, I guess you call him a mentoree from last year, he every now and then sends me a track, hey, what do you think about this? And he sent, he said, I got this tension track and it's not getting reviewed very well on, on, on the forums. What's wrong with this? I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to it. And it was kind of a happy, serene track that you would hear like in a nature documentary. And I'm like, dude. That's not tension. This is not tension. I say, go to my website, go to the tension page, listen to those. That's kind of like the, path you have to go and he, he tweaked it and tweaked it again and then he had it but you gotta know what if you want to do a certain style know what that style is and what you need it's all yeah, out it's, there and i've got to say that was really nice of you to to show somebody how to compete with you <laughs> uh, and and, well, and i've got to say that the road rally uh is quite famous for the the generosity quotient um that many, many of our members who are experienced, successful members that are earning their entire living doing this um, are, are so generous. I mean, I, you literally, that guy could end up competing with you, but I'm guessing that your attitude is, I'm just gonna do the right thing and help the guy because somebody helped me at some point. Yeah. Well, side, side note, yeah. that's the only reason I'm sitting here, is because Chuck helped me. <laughs> like. Uh, Really? However many years ago that was that I met you. Yeah, um, Chuck listened to my entire CD that I... I didn't know this guy oh, at remember, all. Yeah. Well, I didn't saw know me him. and Steve Barry walking through the lobby. Yeah, like, and, I saw you guys right, in Jackson Yeah, TV. that's right. You guys were on right before the road yeah. rally two years ago or three years ago or something. No, it was like this is, four or five uh, years. It was a while ago. Yeah. And I know yes, I know like, his beer was empty. I'm like, dude, I got some beers out in the room. Come upstairs. Let's go. Have my and parents. I was like, well, that's good because these things are $8 a piece. <laughs> 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 I don't have that. I'm not going broke down here in the bar. We can watch the planes take off from the tier. So yeah. that's when you play me your stuff. And yeah. So some... Chuck's like, well, play me, your, play me your music. And she listened to every single track that I brought, which I don't remember how many it was. And gave you a beer. And gave me a beer. And, a beer. <laughs> and, and within the course of however long it was, an hour, 45 minutes maybe, um, he gave me notes on each thing, wow. each track. And he's like, you don't do this. Don't do that. 
don't do this. This here's okay. Do this different. Were and you it was like devastated or excited? No, I was like, this is awesome. How often do you get this chance? Like you, you get the one-on-one -on -one mentors there, and you get 15 minutes. Right. But here I'm got get like a master class with Chuck, <laughs> like this, this guy. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, this is you. Like there are some people that pay big money for one-on-one, -on like extended one-on-one, -on -one, like coaching sessions, and. Here I'm drinking this beer for free. <laughs> so, like, okay, this is great. This is great. This is, I'm just like taking copious notes in my head, which I later went down to my hotel room and wrote every single thing down that I could remember. Wow. And um, and here I am. Not like I credit my entire trajectory off that one chance meeting with this guy who just gave it gave his secret secrets. And that's away. what I'm saying. When you send stuff to me now for the libraries, I'm like, I'm like, holy. Crap, that's good. <laughs> Except you know when what? you had the, the the kidney stone. Oh yeah, Those I was a little were... whacked out on Vicodin. <laughs> I think, These aren't very good. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's not do tracks when you're on medication again. <laughs> but you know, you said something really key in that conversation or in that story. You said uh, it was a chance meeting. Not really, because you saw him and you knew how to act. On you know, in the moment. Yeah. You knew what to do with that. Most people would have just been too afraid, too timid, and let him walk on by. Well, because okay. you weren't, oh, well, and I've noticed, you, you are not a timid guy. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so I want to tell this story because I've told it to all my guys in Boise. And uh, it's like in preparation for the road rally. I was like, just kind of take a lesson from your elders here. Um, so when, <laughs> when, I, when I was at... Uh, at that rally where I met Chuck, now that was my second road rally I'd ever been to. I didn't know anybody because the first road rally, I didn't meet a single person really except James Koshin yeah. and Jacqueline Van Beerk. Those are the only okay. two people that I met. Um, so going into my second one, I was like, I was determined to be the best student possible. I was going to sit in the front row for every single class session. I had my notebook. My fancy mechanical pencil. I was ready to do it. I was like, I want to be a college student again. A plus right here. I was going to take notes on everything. I was going from sun up to sundown, going to every single class, which yeah. I did. Um, but I rem registration night, so Thursday night, um, I, I got all registered, get up in my room, kind of get settled in. And I'm looking at the schedule, and I say, okay, the first thing starts at you know whatever time the keynote address was. Usually like 9, 9 a.m. on yeah. Friday morning. Yep, yeah. so I thought, okay, that's kind of early. You know, um, Boise's just a little bit off in time. But I thought, I'll just maybe order a pizza or go get some food, get a good night's sleep. I'll wake up early, drink some coffee, and I'll just, I'll just be ready to go. I'll, <laughs> like, mm, this is how you be a good student. Yeah. Like, I would never recommend my college students show up to class hungover. But <laughs> anyway, so I was like, I'm going to be the best student possible. And then I thought, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I hear people talk about the, this lobby, the lobby bar, all that, like, this is where people meet each other. Yep. I was like, I'll just go, maybe go check it out. I don't know. Maybe I should just go to bed early. So there was this, really, I was weighing two decisions, either go to bed early and be a good student or go down to the bar and see what happens. Drink and network. Let's Drink and network. Yeah, let's what call a spade a spade. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I said, I told myself, I'll go down for one drink 
and I'll, I'll walk around this bar for as long as it takes to until that glass is empty. And then if nothing has happened, I didn't meet anybody or whatever, I'll go back up to the room and I'll still go to sleep early. And... This was his dating protocol as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's one what drink, I do. I, I, troll, I troll people like this. Hey. Oh, um, so I went, I went down to the lobby. I ordered one beer. And I'm walking. I got in my hand. how much? Eight dollars. Eight freaking dollars. You throw a tip on that, you're ten dollars down. <laughs> like I brought an expense budget a, of twenty dollars. That's so a sixty dollars six pack. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So you do um, the lap. You yeah. So I didn't even do the lap because I saw Chuck and Steve Baird standing right there, and I just seen him on that taxi TV. And I said, Hey, I know you guys from no, taxi no, you TV. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You guys are famous. You've been on Lasco's yeah. show with 500 viewers. I think I, I don't know why uh, Chuck was actually nice to me because he probably got that a million times the, as the weekend went along. I must have just been the first person to say it to him. <laughs> so he was like, hey, your beer's getting low. And then we were talking about college football. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, we're both huge college football fans. And his team, Georgia Bulldogs, and mine, Boise State Broncos, we just played like a year or two before Boise State won that Yeah, game. we went so, that. So we, we did a little smack talking and stuff, and it was just, boom, that that one conversation turned into me sitting here right now having a full-time job as a TV composer. And that really was really a decision of, do I just stay in my little bubble right. and be a little introverted and like be just be a... Um, Hermit. A yeah. hermit, yeah. Or do I go down and force myself into socializing in the sea of people that I didn't know a single one? That's an intimidating. Even for you? I mean, you've got a huge yeah. personality. You're like the easiest guy in the world to get to know. Oh, thanks. You are. I mean, everybody who knows you, it's like, man, that dude's friendly. Um, but really, you have an introverted component? Well, yeah, it, was, it was just that to me, from a, an outsider's perspective, someone new to it, it seemed like everybody at the road rally knew each other. Yeah. Except for me. I didn't know anybody. I was like, how are these guys all friends? We <laughs> sent out an email. If you meet this guy with blonde hair from Idaho, pretend you all know each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, what's the conspiracy here? Um, so I, yeah, I was just kind of nervous because everyone's wow. like talking to each other. Like, how do you do butt in on that conversation? Right. Um, like, oh, excuse me. And then like hammer one guy out while you just <laughs> monopolize and railroad someone's conversation. So I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. And um, so I, I don't know. I just I had to I really had to force myself to do that. Wow. And um, well, so that, that was it. And we say the road rally is life changing, but you know what? It's not the road rally, it's life changing. You changed your own life at yeah. the road rally. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that's it. And that's what I try to tell everybody. I'm like that this is gonna be such a magical weekend, but you really kinda of have to take the bull by the horns and do things that are out of your comfort zone mm -hmm. if you want that magic to really happen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How about you? Any stories like that? Um I mean, it feels like you know everybody in the taxi community. I mean, maybe it's just because you've been around forever, but I've got to believe that a lot of it is is your generosity and your personality. I mean, this is something all of our like most famous members, if you will, all you guys are just nice people. Mm -hmm. That goes a long way. Mm -hmm. uh, um, did, were you... Did you ever have a problem with like meeting people at the rally? Or no. Are you shy or introverted? Or <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I, that's one thing about the rally. I mean, it, it's 
it's great obviously for, for having success but then the amount of friends i've made from the rally is just like that's like think my most favorite thing did you see Adonis Electris was there this year? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, that little statue back there behind you guys, the little statue oh, yeah. of, uh, not Winged Victory, I think, this Venus, fair? right? Yeah. Adonis sent me that years ago. Mm -hmm. um, they were going through a rough patch, and uh, um, he sent me that with a note that said, uh, we really didn't have the money to buy a new bed for our daughter, and because of taxi and because of connections I made and money I made, our daughter got a new bed, thank you. Aww. And he sent me that. Oh, that's never taken awesome. it off that shelf ever since then. Cool. It, yeah, yeah he's cool. a really sweet guy. Yeah. And I miss mm -hmm. not having him around for the last two or three years. I saw him briefly this weekend. Yeah, he, he's uh, got a book out, if I'm not mistaken. I saw, yeah, I yeah. saw a copy of his book, but it was all sold out when I went to go buy a copy oh, yeah. for I've myself. Got a, I've got a copy somewhere in my box of stuff from the rally. He gave me an autographed copy, which oh, I'm grateful for. Awesome. I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, what are some of the tricks of the trade uh, for being more productive? Well, we kind of covered that early in the show, but uh, one of the things that we talked about on your panel um, was templating. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain what templates are, why they're handy, and kind of the, you know, in the trenches use of templates? Yeah, so a, a template is it's basically a... Um, a blank, blank canvas in whatever DAW you use, but it's although it's a blank canvas, it has everything already set up so that you can just compose. Big time saver. Yeah, so it... But um, it doesn't come that way out of the box. It, You're yeah. the one that determines what goes into the setup? Yep, so he, here's, here's the way I've done this, and this is a massive time saver. Like, I really credit this to uh, why I'm so productive. Okay. Um, what I'll do is I'll make a track and you know in whatever style let's just say tension um, and I'll just I'll make a track from scratch doing all the new tracks layer by layer and then have the master bus and the auxiliary feeds and all that and when I've got a track that I think sounded really really good and had all of the elements that a good tension track should then I'll save that entire session as a template and what that does, doesn't save any of the audio or any of the MIDI notes. Uh, maybe it does in some DAWs and in, in Pro Tools. I don't, it doesn't. But it saves it. all the instrument sounds that you've chosen. Yeah. So every every single track will already have the uh, the synth loaded up on it. All the EQs, all the compressors are already there. Because you've done all the dialing in. Yeah. Even even the out. mixing is already done because you've already adjusted uh, levels. Mm -hmm. You already got the reverb sends and the delay sends and the master bus is already set up exactly the way you want it. So all you have to do the second time you jump in is just start load template compo composing. Yeah. yeah, you load the template and you're like, oh, there's my track for the uh, the synth pad, mm -hmm. and it's already got the sound. But you know, you, you can change it and and uh, so I think I asked this when we were doing the panel, but. Doesn't that lead to um, homogeny where everything sounds the same because you're using the same template or? Well, yeah, that, that is a risk and it does happen. <laughs> so I, I was going to jump in on that panel <laughs> and give another but, but, side to the story. Yeah, but there's a great answer for it, why it doesn't all sound homogenous. Um, yeah, um, it, it doesn't really always sound the same as long as you make a conscious effort not to use the exact same stuff all the time. So if you load up your your low synth pad, well, just press the next preset, yeah. just boom, and now you got a whole new sound. 
and and everything can change at the click of a button. Or put really. a weird plug on. Yeah, or, or, or put in sound... a different plug in, or maybe throw a distortion on. Like you can always make these alterations. And you have to be aware now. Let's say that you're sitting down. You're going to use a template because you're doing dramedy. Mm-hmm. So you've got the pizzicato strings. You got uh, the vibraphone or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and so you could sit there and use the identical sounds and make ten cues because one of them is a little more mischievous than the other yeah. one. One of them is maybe a little darker. One of them's a little happier. Mm-hmm. And so you can first of all, they've got different keys, different melodies. So there are all these other components you can change, even though the templates, the, the audio. Sounds the same. It's being used in a different way. Same orchestration. Yeah. Well, if, yeah. And, and if you think about it, every every orchestra is built on the same exact yeah, setup. Right. Like same all players, the strings. Yeah. yeah. All the same players. The same strings. The same brass. The same they're woodwind. Set up the same. The way same percussion. They're all set up the same way. They're all recorded the same way. <laughs> yeah. But every piece by every different composer sounds so different because it's the composition. Really, it's. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not. They're all using the That's same good. pieces. Yeah. I was at the Hawaii Songwriters thing about, well, I go every year, but three years ago, um, a friend of mine named Hookman, who uh, is a top liner, and he was playing a song that he wrote for somebody, you know, some big artist, and played the demo of it and said, you know, we worked feverishly on this. It was all like A-list writers in the room, and we pitched it, and it didn't go anywhere. And I was just devastated by that. And I realized going back and like listening and re-listening that it just something about it didn't connect. And then he changed the key and went, um, you know, like uh, dropped it down from a C to a G. And he said, magically in an instant, the whole track worked better because the bass was lower and it was more of this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's funny how you can take something that's identical, not even virtually identical, but identical, and just by merely changing the key have that kind of impact. So I imagine taking a template and using it in a different way kills the homogeny, Mm -hmm. uh, number one, and number two, you've got to recognize that, okay, well, I was doing that for dramedy cues, but now I'm moving on to um, swampy acoustic guitar cues. So you're not going to use the same sounds. Right, Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. You've got to know when it's appropriate, when it's applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Chuck? Anything, uh, any tricks of the trade? That... Not, well, I was thinking, just remind me of something there with the key change. When I'm working on a song, you hear it over and over and over, and make a mix and listen to it. It kind of gets, like, old. So yeah. a trick that I've always done is just make a mix of it and put it in my whatever way seeing the changes of the key like maybe a two steps up or three three half steps listen to it it so totally sounds different and i'm able to hear stuff oh god i wasn't hearing that before oh right there mm. oh. that works that's a secret right there let me write that one down it works that's where my big that's secret a one. somebody um we all heard a cue i think in the ballroom that modulated about two-thirds of the way through and somebody asked a question either on that panel or a later panel when we had a little audience q a going on somebody said so is it a good idea to put a modulation in a cue and the answer was no because they're going to edit their way around a cue uh, just so you guys if you're new and you've never watched a show and you don't know about composing they're rarely, if ever in your lifetime, going to use an entire 90-second cue 
um, they're going to use 12 seconds or 34 seconds or two seconds. They're going to use some cut down or edited version of it. And if you've done a modulation, they can't go from the beginning to two thirds of the way through because the the actual you know the the composition where it modulates won't be in that edit. So all of a sudden it's going to go, you know, the sting ending is not in the same key you started in. They can't use that to edit it. Where the hell did that come from? They're like, we can't use that cue. Yeah, there's another little trick for you. Don't modulate. Even if you feel like... Or if you do, go back to original key to end it. Yeah. I've heard that sometimes. Yeah. The reason people are compelled to modulate is because cues are notoriously the same thing. Pretty much an A section all the way through, maybe drop a B section in the middle or two thirds way through to give it a little variation. So people feel this compulsion to modulate just to keep it interesting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. As, I would say there's a difference too between um, like a natural progression that could sound like a modulation versus like when I think of bad modulation, I'm thinking of like 1980s Bon Jovi <laughs> shock to the heart or whatever it is. You know, that like at the two thirds mark of the song, all of a sudden, and that just right. lifts up and all the eighties bands did it back then. And they Thank ended, you, Diane Warren. yeah, they ended on that, on that new modulation. So that yeah. new key and it just lifted everything up and it was just a classic eighties trick, but that's the modulation that doesn't work in TV composing. In fact, that's one of the mistakes I'd made when Chuck listened to my music. He's wow. like, don't ever do that. Oh, yeah, like, don't do that. <laughs> I was like, okay, noted. Because <laughs> I was doing it too. Um, I always tell people that the formula for success with Taxi is to become an active member of the forum. Try to, oh, I already covered this. Try to implement suggestions uh, from the Taxi A&R staff. Watch Taxi TV and most importantly, come to the rally. Yeah, I said that. Um, Um, I made a comment, so make, yeah, uh, anyway. All right, I'm out of stuff that I've written, so <laughs> what, do we do? what do we do for the next 13 minutes? Let's go to the audience. Do you hey, guys gonna, have any questions? I was going to see who's all in there. Hey, Marcus. Yeah, I saw Marcus and Marcus, Marcus in there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they've even had it yet, but... Um, here's a question from... Sorry, i got to lean in somewhere. Okay. Um, how would you guys go about making a full-time income from writing contemporary hard rock instrumental cues if you were me? That's from Dan Weber. I don't do rock, so I'm not quite sure how to answer that question. <laughs> just because Bree is on the backside of the microphone, how would you guys go about creating a full-time income doing um, hard rock cues? You would find outlets that need hard rock. Which libraries, yeah. sports TV, yeah. libraries mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. do a lot. You know what? Choose your libraries according to who their clients are because a library that does a lot of like orchestral stuff um, that would end up, uh, you know, in dramatic, uh, in Hallmark movies, yeah. that library probably wouldn't be the best place to put your mm-hmm. hard rock stuff. But somebody who gets a crap ton of placements on Fox Sports or ESPN would be an excellent place for any kind for of that. extreme sports yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to do your research. Yeah, you got to do your research. Thing with anything like. Yeah. And this. Business. Yeah, you don't do want your to research. Send your music to the wrong place. But here's yeah. how you find the right place. You just watch the shows that use a lot of hard rock, and then at the end of the credits, it'll say music supplied by. Yep. Mm-hmm. Boom. There's your. There's, it's only going to be like three libraries. And then they're going to send an email because this person is new, not you, Dan, but just you know a mythical person that's new and follows that great advice that you just gave. And then they, they Google and they find XYZ library and they send off a thing, an email that says, 
I'm the greatest, most versatile rock guitar player you've ever heard, and you really need my music in your library. And the library is like, mm, who the heck are you? <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have any good advice for how that email, how that email would be better written to get the desired result? Uh, <laughs> I would say those emails, no matter how good they're crafted, are serious a gamble. So. I th I think My the, answer would be join taxi. I was, wait just for I was just going to say yeah. the best thing that you could possibly do to get in as a composer with no resume, no credits behind your name, is to submit to taxi listings because they're going to get you through the door in a solicited fashion rather than the millions of other people who are sending this, I'm the greatest in the world, but you've never heard of me because I've never been placed in TV, but I could do it. <laughs> and those are just going to be ding, 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 delete, delete, delete. Whereas um, the taxi listings are people that come to you guys they're looking for because it. they need it. So when they get that music sent to them, they're like, oh, this is the stuff I was looking for. It's like having the food delivery or the pizza yeah. show up on your doorstep as opposed to the, uh, I don't know, the, the guy selling an alarm system who's just going door to door. You don't want that guy there. <laughs> No, because yeah. actually he's scoping out your house because he's going to break <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, he's casing the joint. You don't have an alarm system. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but you wanted that pizza, so that's you're going to be very receptive to that. But, uh, oh, man, those unsolicited emails, I would say, are probably mostly getting trashed yeah, immediately. And, and why would they go with somebody that they don't know when they've already got, you know, 27 hard rock composers that they do know. So you, yeah, yeah. You yeah. want to use Taxi as your tool to become one of the, the 28th one that they know. If yeah. you, the tool, if your tracks aren't right, you'll get a great critique and read those because these guys know what yeah. they're talking about. Say, oh, yeah, I should probably do it this, and change, do what Pete said, advice and change your track. And don't be married to your, your song. Oh, that's great advice right there. Don't be married. People get so emotionally they attached out of shape. to uh, what oh, they've oh, done that they can't change. But you know what? Nobody really gives a damn about your cue. Yeah. It, it, to you, it's really important. And I get that. And I'm not making fun of you or putting anybody down. But the import that a track has for you is not anything what other people feel. So you have to see, see the world from the end user perspective not from your perspective, because the only person that really cares about you is you. Yeah. I, uh, this reminds me of something. It's a little bit off topic, but uh, it's a natural segue. Okay. A couple of years ago, I was in the uh, the registration line at the hotel. Not like the... the not for the rally. Not the rally, the but at the hotel to go get my room, get checked into my room. And there were a couple of guys behind me, and, um, and they were talking about, oh, you know, I... I had this uh, this company call me up and offer me a deal, but they wanted the copyright, so I told them no. And it was Rookie like, mistake. oh god, you god, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> then like, um, they, they they recognized that I was standing in front of them, and they're like, oh man, what what would you have done? You don't sign over your copyrights, do you? Like every single time, <laughs> yeah, a copyright. Who cares about a copyright? Like, what, is, what good is that doing? But that's you? one of those old wives' tales that's gotten it's got legs just by repetition for yeah. all. Mm -hmm. Don't give up your copyright. Which you know what? If you're writing big hit songs and you've got some hits under your belt and you're in position where you can say, "I'm sorry," you know, you can't have my copyright. You've earned that right, and that's the time to do it. But we're, we're talking about instrumental cues. They're, I, I don't want to imply that they are a lesser art form, but they are a commodity. 
Yeah. Is you will make more of them. You could write the greatest dramedy cue today and you'll write 10 more. What That's another story you've told before is you've had um, taxi members that have gotten followers and the companies call them, they didn't get back to them. And you're like, right. why? It's more well, scared, you know, might get screwed. No, no, no. Why does yeah. everybody think that everybody in the music industry yeah. is waiting to screw people? Well, and and why are you trying to get in the music industry if, if that's not, your perception? I'm speechless. Yeah, I don't understand that. I'll, wow. t I'll tell you this speaking of uh, uh, that mindset, I have, um, I've ran into nothing but good people in my career doing this on the industry side on the industry side yep um just great people all around that are looking out for the composer like there's no sharks well maybe what yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's one yeah. but, <laughs> we won't mention it. but there's yeah. um they're good good people that they they want the best for you because when you make money they make money right. and, and we make it together it's mm -hmm. for every Penny I make, they make the same penny. Yeah. I make a hundred dollars, they make a hundred. I make five thousand, they make five thousand. Why wouldn't they want you to make more? Because they're making more too. No yeah. one's trying to screw anybody. Um, it's not like the what you, the stories you hear from the seventies and eighties where bands are just getting taken to the cleaners. Mm -hmm. You know, this is writing, a different side. Of the, even, yeah, it's even not in even seventies yeah. and eighties. The production music library business was a different beast than the record mm -hmm. industry. So if you want to compose for TV know that it's a different industry. Yes, you're using instruments. Yes, you're writing music. So those aspects are the same, but it, it's like um, uh, a Volkswagen Beetle and a Formula One racer. They're both cars, they both have an engine, they both have four wheels, but they're dramatically different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're the same, but they're different. It's like <laughs> Sesame Street. Any more questions? <laughs> Sesame Street. Wow, we've almost done 90 minutes already. Jim Stamper oh, man. asks, what's your primary genre and how many different genres do you each do now? Okay, J.D. Stamper wants to know, what's your primary genre and how many genres do you do now? So let's get that answer from both of you guys. Uh, urban, hip-hop, tension. What was the first one, urban? Urban, okay. hip-hop, uh, EDM, let's say tension already. Uh, just like mixture of pretty much lots I, like I said I don't do country don't do rock because it involves guitar and I don't play guitar <laughs> um, yeah that's about it they're my favorites yeah I like very very similar to that um, hip hop is where I really started getting I think the most action yeah, that's been my biggest and then sure. um and then dramedy has always been pretty good for yeah. me. And then blending those two together, so you got the hip hop comedy, or, hip, or yeah, urban comedy, urban um, dramedy. Yeah, urban dramedy. Am I yeah. dreaming this up, or didn't one or both of you guys kind of almost invent that? Um, I don't know where I'm getting that from, but somebody once said to me, I can't remember which of you two guys it was. Somebody said to me, I don't think that urban dramedy really existed until one of you guys wrote. Some library owner, I thought, said that to me. Where Could have been lie? either one of us. I guess well, we've both done a ton of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and it's uh, it makes buckets of money. <laughs> buckets. It's, it's used all the time. It's like, it's the best. I know. Um, yeah. 
a lot of supervisors now are trying to get away from the standard drama because yeah, they're sick of, of the pizzicato strings yeah, and the marimba. Might be a little bit spent now, um, so I don't know if I'd recommend people get into that. I know one soup in particular who's like, don't ever see yeah. the dramedy, ever. It was good for a while, though. Yeah, um, had a good run. Had a good let, run. Yeah, <laughs> did let, have a good run. <laughs> we've got like three minutes left, and this brings up an interesting topic, which is everybody says, give me something fresh, give me something new. I don't want the same old dramedy crap. We've been using that for years, enough of the pizzicato strings. Um, give me something different. <clears throat> so a lot of people take that as, you know, license to create some stuff that's really wacky. I'm going to show you different. And, and what they mm -hmm. create is so different that it's not usable. So am I nuts in thinking when you look at an overused genre, like let, let's stick on dramedy because there's a ton of it out there and it's used in practically every reality show. Um, just changing the instrumentation. Uh, many years ago when I worked with Neil Young, he did a song called Pocahontas. And he opened up the lid to the piano and he took a guitar pick and dragged it across <laughs> one of the strings that was like a, a brass wound. Yeah, string. Bass yeah. And it made, yeah, and it made this sound. Um, so I've got to think that that's kind of an example. Of maybe you could take a, a guitar pick and pluck a piano string or pluck piano strings and make and and mix those together with pizzicato violins and come up with just a different texture, different. same mm -hmm. thing, but just a different enough because you don't want it to get the attention of the viewers because they should be locked into the story, the mm -hmm. script, the actors, or not actors, reality TV, into the characters. <laughs> um, and uh, But different enough that when an editor hears it who's laying in the music, they go, mm -hmm. I like that, it's mm -hmm. a little different. Mm -hmm. Were you guys in the ballroom, by the way, for uh, Laurel Ostrander's thing in the yeah. beginning of the rally? I was there for the first half hour, then I had to go oh, to the We both had to go to the men's uh, yeah. Okay. yeah, I wanted to see the whole thing. I heard they used some of my stuff in there, and his too. Yeah, oh, some my stuff. stuff. That's right, Dang because it. they were using yeah. John's library. Yeah. No, um, this is like your library. It was wasn't my it? library. The 10 oh, it was your yeah. library given to John. That's yeah. right. Um, anyway, that woman, uh, I am so in love with her as a teacher. She, she she's so, good. She's yeah. just born to do it. I mean, she's a highly paid editor. She's she is not cheap, um, and I mean that in a good way. She's earned her wings. But and she was a story editor be, before she became a video editor. But someday that woman's gonna run a company like uh, I'm trying to think of one of the big like Endemol or something. She she sees the big picture. She's able to articulate her thoughts so well. I just can't say enough good stuff about her and I'm so grateful that last year and this year that the people got to see that thing it's like oh now I understand how my music will be used now I understand the thought process that an editor uses to pick the music now I understand why I shouldn't try and create a, a 30 second cue or a four minute cue that 90 seconds is probably enough mm -hmm. um, so much of what she talked about I think made it really obvious to people about mm -hmm. how they yeah. should how they should treat composition mm -hmm. even though she herself is not a composer well and I think one of the huge things that I harp on people all the time for this it happened right before we had to leave for the mentor sessions mm -hmm. but it was a, a strategy that has nothing to even do with composing a track is titling oh, yeah. like the way you title that piece of music so is important. that's the first obstacle you got to overcome so as, as your track is one of a hundred or a thousand or however many things in there, it's the title that's going to be 
almost like the clickbait. Like your Urban Dramedy I retitled, that, that I titled. Yeah. Let's go over some Yeah, but you got to come up with the crate, like <laughs> a, a title that fits for the genre and the, and the track. So when they click it, they hear what the title is. Like it's got to make sense. Right. Like you don't title it Urban Dramedy Track 1. Yeah. You title it something like something. Peeking Through Windows. Yeah, or like Turd in a Punch Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> But that's like something they click on. I gotta remember that. I think I have a track that uh, uh, one of one of my friends. I so I don't know if I should say his name. Um, but Joy, um, Joy, yeah, he he loves one of the tracks I got just by the title. It's called Who Farted. <laughs> and then, oh, and I got another one called but that's like. That's uh, mine. I thought Hoof Hoof Farted, right? No, mine's actually who oh, farted. <laughs> but it's titles like that that jump off the screen. Yeah. And it's going to make people want to click on them as opposed to... What was that album you did for him? Turd Burglars? Turd Burglars. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, that was another name. But you got to have these crazy titles because if you don't, then you're just like, oh, nice track, one. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice music, five. They're gonna go turn the Yeah, <laughs> I mean, are they gonna click on that? Are they gonna click on like dumpy poop? <laughs> but it's, I mean, just wacky stuff. But then it's got to sound like that, so it's got to be just out of. It's got to be funny. <laughs> if you're doing a funny, track. nobody farted. It's my shoes that were in the Jordan River. It's Chuck snorting. <laughs> Well, well oh, on, on, on that really highly oh. sophisticated topic, I just killed it. It's over. As your shrink, as your shrinks, I'm sure tell you every week. I'm now has come to an end. Guys, seriously, I appreciate. Do you know this joke? We're supposed to actually be home in Idaho today, and the other day I was talking to him, and I said, "Can you do me a favor and extend your trip by one day? I would love it, as long as you're be in town." So he did. He changed his flight. By the way, give. Um, just send me an email so I've got some paperwork to give to Angel, but I want to reimburse you for that because oh, yeah, he, he thanks, spent man. 81 bucks to be here on the show. You, it shouldn't cost you. Oh, did you I say 81? I meant 881. Just let me go home and Photoshop that real quick. Uh, I'm surprised the change fees are that cheap on Southwest uh, or yeah. any airline for that matter. So mm -hmm. thank you for doing it. Hey, I thanks for it. having me here. Thank you for staying. Thanks for having me here, Chuck. Yeah. Always great, man. I, I love you guys. It's um, I feel so blessed to be a business owner that has customers that are, are, you know, friends to the point of being like family to me. So thank yeah. you, and thank you for oh, all, yeah. all the love you spread around with our with your fellow members and all the people that you guys educate, and for all the humor that you bring to the table. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are damn funny. Uh, uh, and with that, we're gonna sign off. I have no idea what we're doing on next week's show. Um, but oh, can I say uh, real quick? Thank, yeah. Thanks to uh, everyone that I met this past weekend. Like everyone at my lunch tables, and the one-on-one -on -one sessions, they're just awesome, awesome people there. Some people are just making fabulous music. And uh, everyone I met in the halls and at the bar and like everywhere, just you guys just keep doing what you're doing and you'll get there. Absolutely. You could be titling tracks Who Farted and Laughing About It Here With Us. Like, just give it a couple of years. But uh, to all those guys, it, it was just awesome. Of course, Marcus, Terrell, Keith, um, gosh, the whole litany of people. Mark Hemley, uh, gosh, I can't, now that yeah. I'm trying to think of their names. Brain and fart. Brain fart. <laughs> but uh, all my homies, it's so great to see you guys all again. So Mark, I'm glad you cut your hair, Hemley. <laughs> yeah, I just saw a picture of him with the long locks. It's pretty awesome. He looks so much it's better. epic, like but yeah, yeah, he does look a little better now. Anyway, see you guys next week for another exciting episode. 
of Taxi. Show your hand. TV Live. Everybody does.